We welcome you back to Senior Moments with Bob Johnson. Today, we present episode 12, entitled, Insights into the Loss of Sight. At the age of 91, Bob has experienced progressive visual loss impacting his life, but not his indomitable spirit. He shares the details of this condition, its impact on his life, with the hope of offering information and inspiration to anyone experiencing any type of medical challenge, be it physical, sensory, or psychological. With that said, I am pleased to present your mentor and host, Bob Johnson, with Insights into the Loss of Sight. Bob, we uh, today are going to talk a little bit about a condition that has affected you and and in your life, uh, and that is a condition that results in visual impairment. Why don't you give us a little introduction to today's topic? Okay, uh, Dr. Ivey. Uh, frankly, I'm not going to give you a lot of detail personally about what this macular degeneration that afflicts me is. Clinically, maybe leave that to your ophthalmologist uh, and your uh, retina specialist. Please do not take anything I say as indicating I've been to medical school, which I have not. I'm only going to speak about the effect of macular degeneration, which has uh, came upon me about three years ago, and what effect it's had on my life and how to deal with it and how I've been able to cope with it. It certainly would be true of just about any vision problem, some of the coping mechanisms that that I have come up with. Frankly, uh, I really feel that you uh, need to talk to your ophthalmologist rather than uh, to me if you have any any concern. Why should you be concerned about my problem with uh, this particular vision difficulty? Well, You might get it someday. Apparently, people over 80, maybe one in three, are someday going to have to deal with macular degeneration. In fact, it is known as age-related macular degeneration. What effect does it have? What did I start to notice three years ago? First of all, reading became more difficult. I found myself looking at blurry lines that used to be quite clear. And uh, what uh, particularly impressed me is that part of my central vision just seemed to to disappear altogether. As print, I needed to deal with larger print and larger print, and finally I could read no print at all, to the extent that we just canceled our magazine and newspaper subscriptions since I couldn't read them. Again, why should you really care about macular degeneration? Well, there are several reasons. One, you might get it someday, particularly when you get along in age, uh, or you might know somebody who needs your assistance, who is afflicted with this problem, or you might just be interested in the overall subject. Maybe you have friends uh, who've talked about it. I hope that at the end of this uh, little podcast, you'll have a better understanding of what your friends and your loved ones may be going through if they ever happen to have this particular problem. Well, as you mentioned, this is not an uncommon problem. And in fact, there's about uh, 3 million new cases in the United States per year diagnosed. There are some other risk factors and was wondering if you could go over that uh, with us a little bit. 
Sure, I'd be happy to. The ironic part of it is that of all the risk factors, I personally have only a couple of the ones that I have are exposure to sunlight, which I used to do as a youth. I used to think that uh, sunglasses were for sissies, which is a pretty dumb conclusion, but I rarely wore any protection for my eyes, and I spent a lot of time in the sun, and I have a, uh, a fairly light skin. But some of the other factors uh, just don't apply to me. Uh, I am not obese. Uh, I haven't smoked since 1956, so I don't think there's uh, much of an effect there. I uh, am a male, and it's mostly affecting females. number of other risk factors along the way. Uh, there's a racial uh, factor, uh, apparently. Uh, uh, whites uh, apparently more often than uh, African Americans. People who uh, eat uh, food with a uh, high fat content, uh, people who have high blood pressure, people who are afflicted with a cholesterol problem, people who've lived a life of inactivity. None of these things apply to me, and yet I came down with macular degeneration in my late 80s. A couple more that we learned off the internet is that people with light eyes are more inclined to get it. My eyes are dark brown. Your relatives uh, are a factor here. If you have uh, ancestors who've had this problem, uh, you're uh, considerably more likely to have it. And I don't have any relatives uh, who, who've had it, but if you do have, then you might be more concerned about it than others. Given that apparent heredity component, have you lost any sleep worrying about your, your four daughters? Uh, yes, of course I have, and uh, none of them have had any indication so far, and they're all in the area of uh, 60 years old, so I'm hopeful that uh, they'll get along without it, but of course the, it usually attacks people when they're over 80, so there's really no way of being sure yet, and I just have to hope that none of my uh, uh, descendants uh, have this. I hope this is a one-of-a-kind thing in our uh, particular uh, chain in the uh, chain of being. Now, this condition, uh, macular degeneration, really there are two types as I understand it. What can you tell us about wet versus dry macular degeneration? Apparently, wet is a little less common than dry. I've been told that wet progresses a little more rapidly, but the good news on the people who have the wet kind is that there is a treatment which will slow it down or even bring it to a halt in its progress, and that is, <laughs> for people who have a strong uh, constitution, a needle inserted into the eyeball on a once-a-month basis, but it apparently worked. For those of us who have the dry kind, which is mine, it uh, progresses a little more slowly, but there is absolutely, at this point in time, absolutely no treatment for it, except taking vitamins, which are good for your eyes, and which I do, and I'm sure others with this problem do also. I understand there is considerable research going on at this point to try to find a solution uh, similar to that of the wet kind, but and sometimes I'm told that those with the dry kind have it progress into the wet style. So uh, there are a lot of things we don't know about macular degeneration. You have certainly outlined the symptoms and, and the ones particularly that uh, you've experienced, but I suspect there are secondary symptoms. The visual loss likely uh, affects uh, balance, coordination, your ability to ambulate. And I also wonder about those effects on you psychologically, anxiety, depression, and so forth. Could you comment on uh, your situation? 
I'll be glad to. As far as depression is concerned, I've tried not very hard not to become depressed. And quite frankly, I've been successful in that. I've been able to develop a positive attitude and uh, recognize that at 91, I'm fortunate to have lived this long and, uh, and in such a healthy condition. As a matter of fact, uh, I'm often reminded of the old adage that the uh, uh, man who complained about he had no shoes changed his mind when he met a man who had no feet. And I think that really applies to a person with macular degeneration because it would be a whole lot worse off in many respects to lose your eyesight altogether. And my doctor says I'm not ever going to be blind. And you're absolutely right about the balance thing. Uh, You don't realize how much you depend on your eyesight for your balance in negotiating difficult situations uh, underfoot um, until you start to lose some of it, as I have. And uh, it wasn't too long ago I finally threw in the towel and said, okay, I will carry a cane. I will call it a swagger stick just for my own personal feelings, but it's really a cane, and it does help a lot in keeping my balance. Among the many things that can happen is that you... Uh, lose the ability to spot tripping hazards, and uh, falling down is a bad thing to do when you get old. So uh, the cane is a a good uh, anchor to windward for me, and I'm learning to use it without being embarrassed. Well, as if macular degeneration itself is not enough, you in fact do have a history of some previous eye-related problems. Would you recount those for us? Yes, I can do that uh, briefly. Back when I was in about the second or third grade, my teachers, I could tell I couldn't read anything on the blackboard. So uh, an eye doctor uh, put put glasses on me which helped a lot. I found out for the first time there were actually leaves on trees. And uh, many people have mentioned that the first time they ever got glasses. My eyes deteriorated with nearsightedness uh, over the years uh, to the point where about the time I was finishing college when I was about 21 or 22, uncorrected were measuring at 2600 instead of 2020. That did not keep me out of the Army, but we've already done a podcast on that experience, so I won't repeat it. But I went on to uh, wear corrective lenses until uh, long about in my uh, early 70s, I uh, wound up with ca- having cataract surgery, which is not uh, at all unusual for fe- people when they reach that age. And uh, that they inserted uh, some new lenses in my eyes, and uh, that helped a whole lot for a number of years. And then gradually uh, they started uh, going downhill again. And then this was punctuated by uh, one of those artificial lenses coming loose. This is pretty unusual for cataract surgery, but it. Uh, it happened in my case, and I had this artificial lens floating around, which was a very unpleasant experience. I had to have surgery to have it removed and replaced, and my eyesight has uh, not been the same since. But of course, with the macular degeneration, it's tough to tell what is uh, the cause of uh, some of my difficulties. Well, you talked about the onset of your symptoms and the early symptoms of this process. But I'm interested in the progression. Has it been rapid or steady? And what problems do you find uh, where we sit today? My first, I first noticed that I was having uh, what turned out to be macular degeneration when the very center of my vision seemed to be disappearing at times. And uh, that has uh, gradually increased. I tried to think of how to describe the loss of central vision. And I, I guess I could say if you're looking at a wall, Uh, 10 feet away, uh, there'll be a space about two or three feet in diameter that 
it, it totally disappears, and you become dependent on your peripheral vision to uh, if you're coming walking up to that wall to get you there. If I'm looking across the street, a house disappears. Now that hasn't increased a whole lot. Perhaps those vitamins uh, my uh, retinal specialist has me taking uh, are helping there, but I have reached the point where uh, I have no central vision. And it uh, can be a problem which we can go on into and uh, discuss a little bit because uh, the effects of this problem that you might be most interested in. In describing the central vision, that, that's really that focus that allows us to, to read, print, and so forth. What do you see at this point? Is it uh, a black hole? Is it blurred? How can you help us to understand this? As far as that center vision is concerned, it's not a black hole. It's just uh, normal. Uh, if it's a daylight, uh, it's a daylight, but it's totally obscured. I can't see through it. It's it's like a, a dense cloud bank right in the center of my vision. I can see to the side either way uh, reasonably well, but the focus uh, is right in the center. If you think I'm kidding, pick up a book and try to read with your peripheral vision. You'll find it almost, well, you'll find it impossible, in my opinion. Well, these uh, difficulties that you have certainly uh, have to impact your life and, and your daily function. I was wondering if you could outline uh, some of the problems that you face as a result. Yes, uh, I guess the uh, the biggest one for me as a man was that I had to give up driving. Uh, it was about two years ago when I was sitting in traffic near my home and uh, realized that uh, I wasn't uh, as competent in making the left turn that I wanted to make because all the oncoming traffic was obscured. And I decided at that moment that uh, after driving what I calculate to be about a million miles without an accident, it was time to quit before I hurt somebody or even me. Within a few minutes, I, dr I drove home and turned the keys over to my wife. A week later, I turned my license in voluntarily at the motor vehicle department and uh, got an identification card in return. That is tough on a man, particularly because you lose the kind of independence that goes, and I'm sure it's tough on women, too. Uh, there are other things I can't do around a car. I can't change the tire anymore. And you say, why? And I say, well, you try holding a tire and, and threading it in over those lug nut screws uh, if you can't see where the holes are. You, you, it just doesn't work. I can't check the oil in the car anymore. I have to have somebody help me do that. There are just uh, so many things that riding in a car when my wife is driving, I don't know where I am because I can't read the signs anymore. There are a number of things along those lines. I mentioned uh, tripping as a problem. I guess the biggest thing for me was reading because I uh, just was an inveterate. I just loved reading all my life. I've read uh, thousands of books, and I just uh, you, I can't get enough. And I had to quit altogether. I can't read a newspaper anymore or a magazine. Uh, National Geographic used to be a favorite. The Wall Street Journal, no more. Can't read those. Let me give a couple of examples of what uh, this means, because it's very difficult, for example, for me to see expressions on people's faces. And that's, uh, that's more of a problem than you might think, because you look at a person and uh, their face is right in the middle of your vision, and it disappears for me. Okay, let's say I'm going to the doctor's office. First of all, I have to get somebody to drive me there, and then I go in and the doctor's office is on the fifth floor. So I walk into the elevator. I can't see the buttons. I don't know where the, where the button is to push, so I have to ask uh, my 
companion or some stranger, would you please push the button for me? I get into the doctor's office and walk up and uh, they'll say, would you please sign in? And I say, well, can you show me where I'm supposed to sign? They do that and then they give me a a multi-page form to fill out, which I have to have a companion do because I can't see any of it. Then we turn it in and then we go on and, and finally get around to see the doctor. The second example would be I need something from the grocery store. Let's say it's a valentine for my wife. So she has to drive me to the grocery store. Then we get in there, and since I can't read the signs uh, showing where things are, she takes me to the greeting card counter. Now she shows me where the valentines are, and now she has to read the various valentines to me to to, uh, help me to understand uh, which one I want to buy for my wife. Well, I've pretty well given up on that. Another example I can give is going into a restaurant. I walk into the restaurant, and somebody has to guide me to the table because uh, most restaurants are pretty dark, and darkness uh, or the amount of light seems to be diminished if you have uh, poor eyesight in the center. You sit down, and uh, someone has to read the menu to you, and you make a selection, and you decide what you're going to order. And then the waitress comes, and she starts taking orders from people, and you can't see her face, so when she wants your order, somebody will have to say, Bob, she's ready for you now. So you tell her what you want based on your memory of what somebody's told you. And then they say, while we're waiting for our food, why don't we go to the salad bar? You get to the salad bar, you can't see what's there. You have to ask, okay, what's this? What's that? And you come to the end of it, and they have the various types of dressing for your salad, and you can't read what it says. You tell them you want French dressing or Russian dressing or whatever it is, but you can't make the own choice yourself. This is so difficult because people will speak to you, and unless you can see their face uh, and there are other people around, you don't know they're talking to you. Some things you just wouldn't think of. Uh, Today, it seems as though everyone carries a a smartphone around, except uh, the old people that I am one of. And people just love to show you photos of their relatives uh, or pictures they have taken on their uh, smartphones. And I can't see the blooming things, and I have, have to beg off. Dialing a phone becomes a real challenge. Uh, Many of the phones today have little teeny tiny buttons, and I've gradually learned to identify where the buttons are, but uh, I'm never quite sure what I'm doing when when I push those buttons. I happen to be a person that likes to know what's coming in the future. And so I've always in the past kept in front of me a uh, month calendar, which I've written in all the things that are happening during that month. I don't do that anymore. So every Monday morning, I have to say to my charming wife, okay, tell me what's happening this week because I have no idea and I can't read the calendar. I go to plug a uh, plug into the wall, and uh, of course my central vision shows me where those little holes are and where the prongs are on the plug. I have to ask somebody most of the time, unless I get up real close. And I, and I, I try to do, read the headlines on the newspaper sometime and wind up a newsprint on my nose I have to get so close. When you get old, you take a lot of pills. I won't even tell you how many I take a day. And I am not able to do any of the pill selection on my own because I can't read the labels on the medicine bottles. And believe me, of all the important things in life, that is a very important one. Another thing is uh, putting the key in a lock. Sometimes, uh, unless I'm really familiar with a particular lock and the particular key, I have to ask for somebody else to put the key in the lock. 
Occasionally, people who don't have macular degeneration say, well, why don't you use the computer to do your reading? Well, that just doesn't work <laughs> because you can't see what's on the computer any better than you can read, can see the print in a book. At night, when it comes time to go to bed, we usually turn the thermostat down. That used to be my job. I can't do that anymore because I can't see the dial on the thermostat, which is kind of important. So it shows how very dependent a person with macular degeneration becomes on a companion, uh, whether it be a spouse or just a friend. Uh, there are so many things you just cannot do with this affliction. So if I can't read, uh, well, why don't I watch television to find out what's going on in the world? Uh, well, I, I find that uh, I can do that. I can watch movies on television if I get four feet away from the TV so that I can get some idea of what's going on on the screen. But I can't always distinguish among the various faces, and I have to learn to uh, tell by the voice which character is speaking. My wife uses subtitles, but that doesn't do me any good because I can't read the subtitles. So uh, very often I lose track of what's going on in the movie because I don't know which of the characters is, uh, is playing a role. This, of course, means that going to the movies in a movie theater is pretty much out. I've done it only once in the last three years, and I sat in the front row and I was able to get most of it, but uh, it turned out to be a difficult experience. Operating the TV remote is very, very difficult because uh, they wind up with very small buttons, and every remote is different, so there's no standardized location for the buttons on the television remote. So uh, most of the news I get comes from the radio. And uh, as you know, they're uh, usually fairly short little sound bites. You don't get the news in depth like you do when you read a newspaper. Well, with or without visual problems, uh, I'm here to tell you that controlling a remote is difficult for all of us. There are some other uh, issues that you've run across. Uh, would you continue with that list? Yes, my wife has become very good as a handyman around the house because uh, picking out a screwdriver to fix a problem uh, uh, or uh, reading a dial on a, a tape measure, just things I can no longer do, or finding the screw in the first place to put the screwdriver into. I mentioned automobiles. I can't check the tire pressure because have you ever tried to read a pressure gauge with your peripheral vision? It doesn't work, believe me. I talked about the going into a restaurant. I left one thing out. Let's suppose halfway through the meal, you decide, as we old men often do, gee, I really need to visit the restroom. Well, where is it? If you don't have good vision, you can't spot the sign that says restrooms over here. So someone takes you over there, and it's a good thing you have someone with you because very often the signs distinguishing between the men's room and the women's room are difficult, if not impossible, to read. So somebody has to tell you, this is the one you go into, Bob. That's embarrassing, but it does happen, and it's one of the things you've learned to deal with. Well, I know in the past you've been pretty active in, in attending live sporting events and plays and musicals and so forth. I presume that's now a problem. It's a problem now because you really can't see what's going on on the stage. Uh, when I try to watch football on television, I can't see where the football goes. I see the quarterback go back and move his arm, and I don't know where he's throwing. So you do miss an awful lot along those lines. Going to the theater with friends is a nice social occasion, but you don't really have any idea what's going on in front of you. Well, that list is uh, rather expansive and certainly eye-opening, I think, but you've not given up on life. 
there are things you can do. Can you go through uh, some of those activities that you still are able to perform or enjoy? Yes, you put your finger right on the uh, kind of advice I would give to anyone who has impaired vision for any reason. Find things you can do. My wife is uh, now working twice as hard as she was before because of the things I can't do, so I clean up after meals. I distribute things, uh, our vitamins in the morning because I know exact location of the vitamin bottles. I uh, am able to listen to uh, books instead of reading them by an excellent program we have here in South Carolina in the state library system uh, known as the Talking Books Program. I never am at a loss for a book. It takes longer to read one uh, when you listen instead of read, but it works very nicely. Try to find things around the house you can do. I know a number of times I started to say, Sue, would you help me with this? And I say, wait a minute, I might be able to do that myself. One amusing example recently is yesterday my wife served some bagels for breakfast. I thought they were English muffins. And so I kept wondering why I had butter on my hand when I kept trying to butter uh, what I thought was an English muffin, but all the butter was going through the hole in the middle of the bagel. Little things like that do happen, but learn to laugh rather than uh, suffer for it. And remember the guy who had no shoes. Well, knowing you, uh, reading books, literature are very, very important. And you mentioned the talking books uh, that are available. What about Braille? Is that something that you've ever considered? Very briefly considered Braille because the, uh, at my age, the sensations in the, my fingertips are very much diminished. And I suspect that's true of most people my age. So Braille does not prove to be the answer for me. Uh, it might be for anyone who at a much younger age should be afflicted with this, which is far more unusual at the younger ages. Another point, uh, rather than standing and watching my wife change the bed once a week, as she does, I have learned that filling the pillowcases, uh, which is a hard thing to do <laughs> sometimes, it seems as though the pillows are bigger than the pillowcases, that's something I can do. And it helps her a little bit, not much, but a little bit. And I try very hard around the house to, to do things. Uh, another thing I might mention is that uh, I've written a couple of books, and, by, and in doing them, I wrote them out by hand, longhand. Both were published, and now I'm starting a third book. Not sure my creative talent is as good as it used to be, but I'm now doing it by dictating the book to her, and we're finding it works, which is uh, something that uh, I've wanted to do and keeps my mind active. One thing I've learned about uh, this problem of recognizing uh, who's speaking to me is I've learned to spot the voice of people and, and identify by voice. You, you start depending on your ears a lot more than your eyes, uh, even though uh, changing a battery in a hearing aid is a lot more difficult when you can't see it, but uh, it can be done. Uh, television is uh, giving me my news, even though it's short little sound bites. And I've even learned to identify people by the shape of their body, which you can easily figure out with your peripheral vision, even though you can't see their face. Well, among all of the things that you continue to do, it sounds like there are some coping mechanisms or using the help of others that have allowed you to continue to function at this high level. What are some of the coping assists that you've received? Well, one of the things you notice is that 
people who understand that you have this problem become very helpful. And many people do things for you that uh, help you over curbs and help you across a parking lot, avoid cars coming toward you. People are really kind for the most part. And you find that when they find you have this problem, they are extremely helpful. I think maybe my carrying a cane has something to do with it. People immediately say, you are a person who needs help. And so that's uh, one of the ways uh, in which things are more is, are better. Also, when you become legally blind, as I am with my problem, you are able to have a little card from the Division of Motor Vehicles which says you can park in handicapped spots. And uh, those become very handy if I have to walk across a parking lot and get into a store and cross some curbs along the way. I did want to take a moment to discuss the handicap parking sticker and how vital that really is. We all have seen folks park in the handicap slots uh, without an obvious handicap, but this really is a positive effort to help someone like you. I think it's very beneficial. Would you agree? Uh, Yes, I would. I was able to obtain this handicapped uh, thing, which you hang from the rearview mirror, by taking and getting a note from my doctor who confirmed that I was uh, legally blind, taking it to the DMV, and uh, they issued it to me. I know uh, it's awfully easy to uh, be upset when you see people parking with no handicap with the, in those places. I've often thought it would be interesting to say, oh, I guess your handicap must be mental, but uh, I've decided probably I won't do that because somebody might be carrying a gun. Well, as we discuss coping mechanisms, uh, certainly other people can have a a major role, but also uh, from within. What coping mechanisms have you used yourself uh, to help with this condition? I think one of the most important is be willing to accept help from people who offer it. Uh, Sometimes you say, well, I can do that myself. Accept the help. I think you'll feel better, and they will too, because uh, it's better to give than to receive. And the people, I think, sometimes feel good about helping you, and the help very often makes a big difference in coping with some of the problems you have. A second coping mechanism, I would say, is... Use your peripheral vision to the extent possible. Try very hard to realize that despite that big hole in the middle, you can see something out of the side and get you through life. But the most important one of all, stop feeling sorry for yourself. It's so easy to say, well, gee, why do I get afflicted with this when other people have perfect vision? Recognize that you're uh, I, I one time read a book uh, from a man who said who was blind, who said the less important is the loss of eyesight than the loss of vision. And uh, he's using vision in the sense of being able to understand the world. That's the way one should cope. Accept the fact that you have a problem and to do the best you can and stop feeling sorry for yourself. As an outsider and observer, I'm here to tell you that you remain uh, a very active and uh, all should know that he is still actively involved in family events and celebrations and again is now working on his fourth book, his third novel, using dictation rather than writing. Uh, I find that remarkable. Well, given all that uh, 
you've had to deal with, and I think you've done a great job of outlining the effects uh, that it has. I was wondering, do you accept, reject, or does it really matter to you to be labeled disabled? No, I wouldn't say so, uh, Mr. Ivey. I think that if you are disabled, you should accept it and recognize that uh, you're lucky to be alive in the first place. There are many things in life that you can still enjoy regardless of your disability. I've uh, seen people who are a whole lot more disabled than I am, and they are coping with life very nicely. Well, given the limitations that are present, could you comment on the effects that you feel regarding your own self-perception or your perception of others' perception of you as a father, grandfather, husband, etc.? Well, about the only comment I could make is I sometimes feel that people feel, my relatives particularly, feel sorrier for me than they really should because I'm enjoying life regardless of this affliction. I, I see no reason why anybody should really feel sorry for me any more than I feel, should feel sorry for myself. Psychologically, what is most prominent for you? The frustration with your limitations or the guilt or anxiety of having to rely on others? I think probably having to rely on others is difficult. I grew up uh, pretty much alone. My father died when I was 10. My mother, I had no siblings. My mother was working. I spent a lot of time alone. And I learned to be very, very self-sufficient. Learning to accept the help of others, I think, has been one of the most difficult things for me in this particular situation. But I think I am learning fast. Knowing you, I do not feel that you're a person that is quick to anger, but with the losses that you've incurred, has anger been a part of your psychological response? I can't really say it's anger. I will say that a couple of times I have fallen down because I didn't see an obstacle, and uh, I would not like to. I think uh, the comments I made would make the devil blush. So uh, I have to learn to deal with the the frustrations that come, uh, and I think I'm gradually making progress to the point where I accept the fact that things are going to go wrong sometimes, and I might as well realize that and accept it. And it appears that you've accepted them very, very well. I did want to explore a little bit with you, if you would, the ramifications and impact that this condition has had uh, on your wife and your feelings about that. Yes, I've been very, very fortunate to have the wife I have. Uh, Sue has uh, been very understanding, uh, very helpful. She's gone to great lengths to uh, do the things that I used to do, and I'm fortunate that she's competent and capable of handling most of them, uh, particularly those involving the automobile and and uh, things around the house that I used to do. She sometimes forgets that I want to know what's coming in the next few days, and that's, I guess, one of my idiosyncrasies. But uh, by and large, uh, when the mail comes in, she will read it to me, and uh, that's something that I always did in the past, and she's had to do that. She's been very, very understanding, and anybody would be very, very fortunate in this situation to have a wife like I have. As you were transitioning into a situation where your wife is taking on more of the uh, activities that you can no longer do, I'm wondering if early on, if there was uh, a greater problem with your self-esteem or guilt of her having to do that, 
And if so, has it waned over time, or how how do you deal with those emotions? Well, it's a, it, it's a problem that uh, you have to learn to deal with. She's been very, very understanding. Uh, I imagine somebody who had a, a spouse who wasn't as understanding as that and who complained a lot about uh, the affliction, it would be a lot more difficult. Frankly, uh, she's been a very busy person as it is, and she's just added these other things to her many activities. Uh, and with, with good understanding. I think she and I are about to sit down and do our income taxes, something she's never had to do in the past. If you can't see, you can't do much with your income tax, and so I have to try to help her to uh, deal with things she's never had to deal with in her 90 years of life. So far, her, her mood has been very good, and uh, I've tried to uh, be the same because uh, in spite of my frustration and not being able to do things I have always done in the past and want to do, uh, I'm, I'm, again, learning to coordinate with her and get things done through her eyes. She has become my eyes, and uh, I very much appreciate that. She has also become a very important component of our podcast, uh, helping immensely with preparation and notes. From your perspective, would you prefer that others uh, anticipate that you may have an issue and need help, or should they step back and uh, simply allow you to try first? No, I think uh, people, uh, generally speaking, uh, should uh, be willing to go ahead and and give me a hand and recognize my shortcomings. It happens that we live in a senior community, and we have lunch with different people just about every day. And uh, many of those people have yet to learn that uh, when they uh, start talking to me, I may not understand they're talking to me. But uh, just like that uh, waitress uh, waiting to get my order. I'd say people generally are... Uh, once they understand that I have this problem, uh, work very hard to uh, work around it and to be helpful to me. Again, from, from your perspective, it appears that there have been some societal or, or government things that, that help in a situation like this, like the parking sticker and so forth. Is there anything else that you think that individuals, society as a whole, or even our government could do to assist with someone with such impairment? Not really. Uh, It seems to me as though uh, I've been well taken care of by the government. In fact, I happen to be a person who thinks uh, uh, the government spends uh, too much time trying to uh, help out in situations like this. But And I honestly sometimes feel guilty at the uh, amount of work that goes into providing me with talking books. But I must, uh, must comment that having this handicap has maybe changed my way of looking at things quite a bit. And I recognize that there are people who need help from the government. Uh, Maybe the fact that we have to pay taxes to support them uh, is not such a bad idea. After all, what is the role of government? I I must admit I have changed a lot since I have moved into the handicap role myself. Well, I must say that that is a a perfect introduction to the next question, and that is, amid the losses that you experience, have there been some positives? I suppose the positives would be the uh, fact that uh, people have been so helpful to me and so understanding. I think probably 
the effect on me has been that I'm going to be a lot more understanding of other people who have handicaps uh, than I have in the past. I guess it's uh, nothing like experiencing it yourself to realize, hey, there are people in this world who do need help, and uh, if I can't do it personally, uh, maybe I can help by paying my taxes to the government so they can do some of these things for folks that need help. For anyone who uh, is willing to work hard, I certainly feel they deserve our help. Uh, it's the ones who sit back and say, I want the government to do everything for me because I deserve it. I still haven't come to uh, accept that. It sounds like um, you've come uh, also to see the good in humanity by those people that do show some concern and help. Let me ask you this. If by some miracle you could be assured of full vision for 24 hours, what would you do? Hey, that's a terrific question. Uh, I, I guess I'd have a busy 24 hours, but I often say, uh, would you really want to know the date of your death? Uh, you know, I could argue that either side of that, but I think the answer would be no. And I guess I say, well, what would I do in those 24 hours? And would it just make me feel worse at the end of the 24 hours that I had to go back to what I have now? So I'd have to think about that, but I'm inclined to think I probably would uh, turn down the opportunity. If I had it, I'm not sure what I'd do with it. <laughs> Maybe if I had time to think about it for a while, I'd come up with uh, some things. But uh, I guess I've learned to live with what I've got now, and I'm going to continue to. Well, I think that just reflects how well you've adapted and accepted the situation, and, and I give you kudos for that. Finally, I wanted to return to something that you mentioned earlier, and that is a quote. Worse than the loss of sight is the loss of vision. I think that's very impactful. Would you have any closing comments regarding that? The only one I have is that just about every day I remind myself of that, and say so it's inspired me to accept what I've got and uh, be grateful that uh, I have not lost more than I've lost and to feel that life is still good in spite of uh, a little problem. Well, despite your loss of sight, you certainly have retained a very strong vision, and we thank you for sharing that. We certainly hope you have benefited from Bob's very personal account of his struggles with visual loss, the human toll of such a handicap on one's life and the lives of others. Even more, we hope that by way of example, you might be inspired by his courage and his grace in facing this affliction, as well as his insights into coping with medical challenges, whether experienced by you or someone you know. Today's music selection is appropriately entitled Envision by Kevin McLeod and is available on Incomputech.com. With wishes of good health and happiness to all, this is your humble technician, Mr. Ivy, inviting you back for our next episode of Senior Moments with Bob Johnson.